what Jesus has for the last three weeks culminated a struggle with his disciples regarding his crucifixion. When Jesus is announced to be the Messiah, Peter tells, when Peter announces that Christ is the Messiah, Jesus tells him that's correct. But then Peter immediately shoves his foot in his mouth when Jesus says that the Messiah must be crucified. Then, Jesus takes the disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, reveals his divine glory, and as we looked at it last week, Peter could only see that through the eyes of a Jewish Messiah. That's why he wanted to build three tents and tabernacles. It wasn't necessarily because Peter was confused, but because the only way he could understand it was nationalistically. The nation's been restored, and we have new tabernacles, we've got the new Moses, we're good to go. And so Jesus is coming down from the hill with this conflict inside the circle of the twelve still going. Christ has been revealed to be the Messiah. Jesus has told them that that means he must suffer and die. And he's taken three of them up on the hill and given them this transfiguration that we ended with Jesus saying, don't tell me one until I'm resurrected. Because the disciples at this point in time cannot understand it. So we come to verse 14. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw Jesus, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. Jesus asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and foams and grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Jesus answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy. And the boy fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? Well, the father replied, From childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus replied, If you are able, all things can be done for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him, and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of the people said, He's dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked Jesus privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, This kind can only come out through prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray through the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts. We may bring honor and work and glory to you. Amen. So, we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew through the major theme of who is the Son of God, and we 
We looked last week at how the gospel starts with Jesus' baptism, where the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and God says, this is my son, my beloved. And we just had the transfiguration, where Jesus, in the middle of the book, goes up the hill, is transformed, and there's a voice from God, this is my son, obey him. Well, we get today a second parallel. After Jesus is baptized, he goes out into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil. After the transfiguration, Jesus comes down the mountain and here confronts a demon possession that's stronger than any of the others so far. And we can tell it's stronger than any of the others so far because we start in verse 14 with a fight going on. So Jesus, James, and John, they had been up the hill with Peter. And they're coming back and they see a, a rambunction going on. And the crowd and the scribes and the disciples seem to all be fighting each other. Now the scribes so far have been coming up as religious investigators, trying to see what this whole Jesus movement was about. And even when Jesus was there, they weren't particularly nice. They already accused Jesus of doing black magic and things like that. So if they weren't polite to Jesus' face when he was there, I doubt that this was a polite discussion when the disciples were trying to do an exorcism, failing, and Jesus wasn't there. So this is probably a situation where the disciples were starting to get piled on. And Jesus just kind of walks into the room. Now we get into verse 15 when the whole crowd saw and they were immediately overcome with awe. This is the only place in the entire Gospel of Mark that Jesus in his physical bearing has any sort of messianic character. And probably here is again an echo of Moses when he came down the mountain. Because Moses was up at the transfiguration. And Jesus was, relied, was revealed as the God who spoke to Moses. Well, when Moses came down in the Old Testament, his face scared people because it was glowing. Made folks really uncomfortable, and they told Moses they put a veil on him and cover that. Well, here it seems Jesus has come from this moment of transfiguration, and when he walks into this debate, there's a sense of the character about him that it just kind of amazes everybody. So it's not that Jesus randomly shows up. It's that there's something in Jesus' bearing that is different in this account and only here in Mark. And so Jesus walking in with the messianic bearing asked this group, what are you arguing about with them? And it even silences the scribes. We don't get any, well, your disciples couldn't cast out the king, any of that. No one speaks, except for the one guy who cares the most about the whole situation going on, the father. And the father tells Jesus the story of the failure of the disciples, about how he brings his son to get an exorcism and the disciples failed to do it. Now this is important because the disciples so far in Mark had done it before. This wasn't like if you or I went out and I'm going to go be an exorcist today. Jesus had already given them special authority and commission to go out, preach the gospel, and cast out demons. And it is therefore due to the disciples' unbelief. Something has changed from when they were sent out last and now. And that's been the two things we've been looking at the last few weeks. The story that the Christ must suffer, die, and be resurrected has shaken the disciples' faith from the point where earlier in Mark they could cast out demons and they could preach the gospel. That now on this side of the Mark, they can't. And it also shows that there's a bit of self-confidence coming up against Jesus' whole message of being the Messiah. 
They figure because Jesus has given them the permission and they already have it, the authority to exercise is something that they own. And it just doesn't work. And the poor father, who brought his son hoping for a cure, really doesn't seem to have much faith in this whole situation. It gets so bad that Jesus sighs in verse 19. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I put be among you? For once, this one is not dedicated to the crowd. This is not to the Pharisees. This is a word that Jesus is pretty much quoting Isaiah, speaking to Israel. This is a word from Christ to the church. And again, one of the things I like to point out is Mark was not written necessarily for the benefit of the disciples while this was going on. They were, it was written for the benefit of the next generation. And so here Christ is giving a revelation of his exacerbation with the church. Is how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? There is a frustration of Christ in this moment, but in all moments when his church is supposed to be the people of faith. Because this is a failure of what they should have done. The disciples already had the authority to cast out demons. They had experience. They were the pinch hitters. They were the twelve apostles. If we were going to pick anyone in all of church history who could handle an exorcism, it'd be those guys. And they blow it because of the lack of faith and a confidence only in themselves. So Jesus gives a pretty strong rebuke here. And then he establishes a relationship with the Father. He asks him why, what, and how has this been going on? Now, in an earlier time, 78 years ago, when there was a real trend of medicating all the different um, diseases and, and afflictions in the New Testament, it was pretty common to think that this boy was epileptic. But one of the reasons modern scholarship has fallen away from trying to do that is in verse 22. It's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. The affliction that was affecting this boy was not only physical, there's a malignancy to it that hasn't been seen so far and the demons. There's the, there's the man with legion who's angry at other people. When he gets possessed, he goes crazy and the Gentiles try to chain him up and he lives among the tombs. There's the demons that speak out against Christ when he's preaching. But this is the first time there's a demon whose whole role is to try to destroy the image of God in mankind and men. It wants to end the boy. And this is a show of just how nasty the dark side is. Because from childhood, from infancy, evil has been trying to destroy this boy. And then we see further that this demon has a special contempt for Christ that's showing that after the transfiguration, the battle between the messy, between the Messiah and God and Satan and the devils is starting to get pitched. Because Jesus, when he commands the spirit to come out, what does the demon do? It comes out, but only after it makes a final attempt at destruction. It throws the boy down, it 
gives it everything it's got. And we get to the point in verse 26 where people are looking at the child and saying, he is dead. So we're going to leave that at the biggest philological point to get to the one I know most people are, like myself, most likely to take from this verse, which is where after the father describes everything that's been happening to the boy, the father says, but if you are able to do anything, have pity on us. Now I can totally see the father's point. He went to the 12 disciples and said, hey, could you do an exorcism? And then they started blowing it, getting a religious debate with a bunch of religious wackos over here, the whole thing's going on, there's a big crowd coming, and this idea of getting a cure for his son has really not gone well today. And even though Christ comes in and he, and he has the bearing, there is the sense that the disciples represent the overall authority of the teacher. But Jesus is not going to engage the Father at that level. In his reply in 23, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Jesus says, look, we're not going to have this debate on whether I can do it or not. In case you that completely off the table, this is Jesus fresh from the transfiguration. He's giving a sense of awe to people. There is the sense God can do anything. We're not going to debate whether God can do something. We're both Hebrews here. What's going to be the debate that Christ puts in front of the Father is whether he can believe or not in Jesus' role to be able to do it. What's his faith in the Christ? And that's important for what happens next. So the Father says, help my unbelief. It's an authentic cry that has been comfortable to Christians for 2,000 years. How many of us, when we get into this confrontation between faith and doubt, the only thing we can say is, Lord, just drop kicking through the pearly gates. But the faith has to be in a specific thing, and that's why what happens next. The boy is cast down as though dead. Death and resurrection is what Jesus is saying his power as Messiah is going to be. So when Jesus delivers the boy, and he goes through a demonic death, and then raised into new life, Christ is showing how his power is different than the power of exorcism, that the disciples were trying to use. The overarching narrative of Mark, and the reason we're looking at the book this way, is big picture, is the disciples are willing to have a super Jesus. They're willing to have a great Jesus that shows up, boosts the Romans, does everything they ever wanted, makes them look cool. They are not willing to have Jesus that suffers, dies, and is rejected. When they come up to real evil and a real possession, trying to run that game of theirs, they're weak and they cannot do it. And more than that, it reflects negatively on Christ. And it gets to the point that Christ even rebukes that level of faithlessness. And then Christ here shows how his power, how the gospel that the disciples will not take, is different. And it's still, even here in exorcism, works only by the mechanism of death and resurrection. It's the power that sets Jesus apart, and it's why it has to call for radical faith from the Father. The Father could have faith if, if all he needed to do was to be taught that God's able to do more than he thinks, that God's going to get greater and things are going to get bigger than I think they are. 
That's not much of a faith thing. Well, God did this little thing he's going to do even more. Great. It requires a completely different level of faith to take the Jesus program where, <laughs> well, yeah, the Messiah came. We had Christmas. Everything's looking good. People were getting healed. Demons were getting cast out. Hey, guess what? We're going to kill you, Jesus. That is a radical emptying of oneself to only the promises of God and to only the hidden actions of God. How do we apply this one besides the typical you need to believe in the cross? I think today, with the way this week has gone for me, I can only give you a level four answer. As a pastor, I tend to think there's about four levels. Level one is something everyone can take. Be nice to one each other. Don't have to be Christian for that one to work. It's a good message. I like that one. This one's a level four, which means, just like the disciples of Jesus, you might look at me like I'm a little crazy, but it's okay. The thing is, salvation with the cross is the only one that is truly able. And by that I mean there are times in our lives where our suffering is the only mechanism whereby we can ourselves be saved and work salvation for other people. It is a difficult theological principle to be like the man Job that we've been reading about the last few days who when his life falls apart says both the good and the bad come from the Lord. It's easy to say at the day of birth, glory to God, we thank you for this life. It is a very different and difficult thing on the day of death to say, Lord, we thank you for this life and for this gift. The disciples are at the level of a salvation. They're willing to do it as long as they're getting as long as they're receiving, that's great. But what Christ is here teaching is that it is that faith that when it is on the day of losing, that is when the hidden actions of God and the real salvation and the real juice gets cooking. Our sufferings are all under God's control. And one of the things that we have to be careful of is that whether they are under God's control is not subject to us understanding them, enjoying them, or even agreeing with them. The idea that God is love gets so tied up into it can only be positive, we forget the fact that He is a Father. And He has said in His words many times, spare the rod, spoil the child. God loves you enough to be willing to give you a little tap on the behind, put you the right way. But also, He loves us enough and has called us to such a high call. Because think about it. This was something demonic that was destroying life, that was throwing this boy down from the very cradle to the very grave. You could not bring deliverance into that situation unless you've been in it. We spoke at the Wednesday service about Christ being fully human. That which he did not assume, he did not save. If we are going to be a church, not just this one, but nationally, internationally, a church that can change lives in the midst of addiction, in the midst of loss, of grief, and of suffering, then where does God have to put his disciples? He has to put them into situations of grief and loss and suffering. And at the moment, it's hard to do. Nothing stinks worse then watch, waiting around, waiting for your dog to die. 
but it is only in those moments and going through them that you become the parent, able to speak with the child, when later it is their job. We want a discipleship that gets us clear. That we let Jesus do all the suffering. We let someone out there do all the suffering. And Christ shows in his amazing power of this deliverance and through the rest of the gospel the mark of bearing the cross that that's exactly the kind of salvation he doesn't offer. Christ only offers the salvation that goes into it. And friends, that's the best good news there is. There is no salvation apart from Christ that does not go through it with you. That's why Paul can say, not powers, not angels, not demons, not anything else can separate you from the love of God. Yes, it's scary. You will probably, if you're, unless he comes back, we're all going to the deathbed. But the thing is, we have Christ who goes to the deathbed with us. And the disciples, the reason they, that Jesus cannot let them rest in that positive only is how many of us, when we see someone who, they're long shot, they're sick, they got cancer, whatever it is, we look at them and we think, oh, God is no longer with that person. His, his presence is being pulled away. Christ's message today is that couldn't be further from the truth. It's in those moments where the world looks and says that it's hopeless, when the world looks and rejects that Christ's salvation is ultimately found. Let us pray.